This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. They were proud sponsors of our podcast and they hosted our stay and our podcast, the actual podcast itself in San Francisco. And we were so thrilled to welcome so many listeners in the Bay Area who came out to our podcast. It was lovely meeting you all. Thank you for coming out. And quick shout out to Intercontinental again because it's really an awesome location. If you're traveling to the Bay Area, stay with them. It's it was really convenient. I walked to the stadium before and after the game, right from the hotel. You could also walk to the pier, all these cool hipster coffee shops around the area. There's just so much to do around that hotel, and it was a really lovely place. And thank you to Intercontinental for hosting us once again. And coming up is a podcast, finally, for free. It's been a while. I know you guys haven't seen us for a while unless you're on patreon.com slash Madrid. We took it a little bit light on content lately because... After preseason, I uh, just need to spend some time with my kids, and now the content will be revving up like crazy. So we did a podcast last night over patreon.com slash managingmadrid, and then today we got one. We got another one tomorrow over on Patreon. We got another one Friday lined up, and it's going to be nonstop basically from now until June. At the very least, like relentless, psychotic, it's going to be insane. We got so much planned for you guys this coming season, but it will also be active throughout the summer. I believe, uh, well, not I believe, I know, Super Cup post-game show live on Zoom for patrons exclusively. So if you want access to the Super Cup post-game show, not only access to it, but also live on the Zoom call with us, plus asking us questions at the end, plus interacting with the other Madridistas in the chat box, uh, that's over on patreon.com slash managing as well. So coming up is a podcast that's uh, recorded by myself and Ewan McTeer. We go over preseason takeaways. We came up with four or five really by the end of it even though initially we only had three. So enjoy it. And as always, we're going to get started here with the voices of Ray Hudson and Derek Gray. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest in ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. Kian Sabani is here, and he's joined by Ewan McTeer. It's been a while since we've had Ewan on, and quite frankly, it's been a while since we've had anyone on. We've been a little bit low on content lately. And I thought on a, on a sunny Wednesday in Madrid, and also here in Canada, just nationwide, probably sunny, we could talk about preseason. Uh, I know it's kind of weird to like talk about preseason after so much time seems to have passed from our last game against Juve, but we've been actually a little bit low on content. So I don't know if we put out the, to the full extent what we could have in terms of preseason thoughts and what we've gathered from it, what's meaningful, what is not meaningful. So Ewan is here, and I thought we could start with um, just going through and, and taking away three takeaways from preseason, which we have not addressed yet. And uh, we're going to get started on that. But first of all, Ewan, welcome back. How are you holding up in Madrid? Yeah, good. No much has changed here. Yeah, I think the last time I spoke to you was just before the tour. You were planning to uh, pack your bags and head off. I've just uh, been here. I was actually in 
for a few days and spend some time at home there. So I watched actually one of the games in like the middle of the night in Scotland, which I think not many people were doing. Um, but no, back now in Madrid and uh, it's I came back, nothing's changed, it's sunny as ever. And uh, August is in Madrid is always pretty ghost towny. No one, no one is here. Everyone flees to the coast. Well, it's it's funny because you did the post game quotes for those games. You covered those, and you know we have yeah. two two members of our post game team in Europe. You and Sam Sharp, who is in mm. England, and the mm. time difference was crazy for you guys. And we have a few people on the West Coast or just in North America that the time is manageable, right? And uh, in a weird way, I'm just not surprised at all that you were awake to cover those the post game quotes for those games. You had them up. I mean, it's only three games. It's it's only three games. It's about fair that that you guys that are in North America and are sometimes getting up late or it's in the middle of your Sunday afternoon. All these games, you know, um, as it's the time. is you know, nine p.m. was every Real Madrid kickoff Spanish time last season. It felt like pretty much every game. Um, so for us, it was it was normal time. So it's only fair we had to work with three games where it's at an awkward time. And and two of them were Saturday nights into Sunday mornings. And to be honest, at that time on the Saturday morning, I'm going to be up anyway. Um, the Wednesday morning one was more a case of go to bed and then get up early for it. But um, only three games and now we're back to normal times. That's for true. Europe, in, anyway. in Spain, you guys are just starting your day at that point. Although for you, I think you're just I used to call mm. you nocturnal. I think you're just 24 hours. You're just awake. I just feel like any time I uh, message you, you like will that. answer. Yeah, I mean, Sam. Yeah. Sam didn't didn't push it out like you did. Sam took the classical immediate reaction, and for the other two Club America mm. Juventus, he basically just ghosted me, and uh, just <laughs> pretended he wasn't getting my messages. Um, all right, so takeaways from preseason that we haven't discussed much yet. Matt and I tackled a few of them last night on the podcast, and we did some podcasts throughout our preseason tour. But I thought we could stick with three today, and you, mm-hmm. you. Basically, I feel like know these Ancelotti quotes like the back of your hand maybe better than anyone because you cover them regularly and you you know what he's saying constantly. Um, we could start with things that maybe you thought was interesting that he said, um, or if it's intertwined, that's fine too. But what was your first takeaway? Yeah, I mean to to bring up those uh, those post match quotes that I did either over breakfast or um, dinner, whatever you want to call it. Um, I went back just before we came on just to see what headlines I picked uh, for which game, trying to uh, remember. And there was three that kind of stood out to me because they're kind of saying the same thing. One was, uh, we won't sign anyone else. We're fine. Uh, one was, I don't want to break up the successful team of last season. And then he said, uh, Casemiro Cruz and Modric are the Bermuda Triangle because the ball disappears there, which is just an all-time great Carlo quote. It's That's that's poetry. But his point is basically, yeah, these three guys still have it. And I guess the sort of common theme with those uh, three post-match uh, pressers is uh, there's not going to be very much very much change, I think, from... Or Ancelotti doesn't want all that much change. Um, the one that he mentioned about, I don't want to break up the successful team of, of last season, was talking specifically about the UEFA Super Cup, because his plan is, to, if everybody is fit, to name the same starting eleven from the the Champions League final. Partly because of loyalty, he said he wants to uh, thank the players who made this game possible. Fair enough, but to me, that's a takeaway because I mean, uh, I think you need to renew if you're if you're uh, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. And I think if Ancelotti thinks, let's just uh, run it back from what we had last season. Let's not give more minutes to Camavinga. Let's not give more minutes 
to Valverde. Let's not introduce Chomeni, Rudiger. I think that's a mistake. I think to, to keep it so similar to last season, which was obviously really successful, I think that might be might be an error. I would probably agree with that too, also just in the fact that if you look at based on last season where the season basically turned was the pivotal point where he started to trust Camavinga and Rodrigo more. And and I think, or even like the introduction of a very, very minute, subtle detail, but the introduction of Ceballos in those Champions League knockout games, that fresh burst of energy was really important too. And there were others, Lucas mm-hmm. Vasquez too. But but that was a good turning point in the season where I think he shifted the rotation pattern a little bit. Um, so I, it's hard to know like what is what to take literally from those press conferences and those quotes and what to take more like metaphorically or whatever, however you want to word it, because I I would imagine that he himself will change his opinion throughout the season based on what he sees, based on what's needed. We saw it with the press last season. We saw it with the lineups last season. You know, he'll reintroduce certain things, I think, in elements or players throughout the season, and he'll kind of adjust as he goes. But one thing I I did kind of interpret from that was more so than the lineup itself, because as as we know and as you said, he's going to go into the Super Cup with the same 11 in the Champions League final. He also did a test run of that for the Juve game. Um, that's maybe how he'll start. And I think the other players can be in- incorporated as they go. I, I really feel like Chiuomeni will probably be working his way into a starting role to, or playing himself into heavy minutes. And Kamavinga is basically in that same mold that Ancelotti saw what he has up close in the Champions League run and he'll be introduced more. But I kind of gathered it more as we're not going to make big changes to the squad necessarily. Um, everyone is crying out for this this young striker from this league who scored like five goals last season who we absolutely need for some reason or, you know, yeah. uh, maybe the bigger profiles or whatnot or, or, or this right wing or that right wing. And I think the club stance is like, and I agree with this, generally speaking, from a squad construction stand, standpoint, I've always kind of been on more of the pragmatic side of squad building because I believe generally players can take leaps and they can almost act like these new signings and I also believe that sometimes continuity is a safer path rather than blowing it up unless of course your team actually needs wholesale changes and and that of course is a different story but obviously Real Madrid the, the, the team that just won the double doesn't need that necessarily so I kind of took away from like the squad itself Ewan is probably not going to be vastly different and if it is it's just going to be different and not vastly. Like if we have a last-minute deal where Asensio leaves, someone else comes in, or or we we end up getting rid of Mariano as well and someone else comes in, it's probably going to be something minute as well because we still... I, I don't think we're going to have something that's going to move the needle too much. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right with the squad. I, I don't know there's this talk, but I think it's also just... Um, a lot of it is just talk of potential backup striker. At the end of the day, even if there is one... It won't make too much of a difference, really. Um, I think the squad's kind of set, but maybe if you know Asensio leaves or you know maybe sign somebody, but I think the squad is quite set. My my thing is more of a starting eleven. I just you know I feel like some players who were coming off the bench last season and making a huge impact um, have maybe done enough to consider themselves starters this season. Um, Kamavinga being one example. I think this season Kamavinga probably. Uh, should expect to start, and maybe maybe it's time for someone like that to start, not just come off the bench. Um, so that's my that's my thing when he says, you know, keeping things the same. Let's just run it back. Let's 
is is loyal it kind of makes sense but at the same time i think you do need to always be evolving especially when uh barcelona have improved so much it's you know um real madrid won the league last season with 86 points uh the couple of seasons before that as well were 86 or 85 points was the uh, the points total that won the league I think Real Madrid will get to 86 points again, but do Barcelona get more than 86? That's the thing. So um, maybe with Barcelona having upped their game so much, and we t- we spoke about this on a, a previous podcast, it's not a need to absolutely panic. Barcelona were coming from a way, way back. Real Madrid had a huge head start, but um, I'm not saying they need to go and improve their squad, but I do think they need to evolve in some way because if Barcelona are going to be better, um, maybe 86 points isn't enough. And when you look at Ancelotti's record, it's so weird because he's the only coach that won each of the big five leagues. Uh, nobody ever did that. But he only won each of those five leagues once. So Ancelotti in his whole career, incredible coaching career, really successful. He's won five leagues. Just so happens to be, um, you know, like a sort of taste or sample set of like one of each kind. But he's only won five uh, leagues, which means he's never repeated. He, you know, he's, he's the coach that... Uh, every now and then will be good enough because he's at great clubs as well, will win a league. But I think if you were to win two leagues in a row, which Real Madrid haven't done um, since, what, 2007, 2008, uh, was the last time Real Madrid won back-to-back league titles. I think you can't just expect to uh, do the same again. I think you do need to make some sort of evolution. And I think it doesn't have to be with the squad necessarily. It just maybe has to be something new and fresh um, in the lineup. And from his quotes... I don't know if we're going to see that, at least not at the start. Um, you're three points on offer in match day one, two, three. With the league, they're just as important as the ones available in spring. It's not like the Champions League. So if it takes time to figure out, that might be some crucial points dropped. That's a great point. And I definitely do think that the league will be more challenging this season. I personally don't feel that 86 points will be enough next season, although we'll see how it goes. Really depends on um, the health of Barcelona's new signings and how they'll, you know, how they'll mesh. I, I think if they stay healthy, there's no doubt Barcelona will be challenging for the title probably to the last match day. Uh, but, you know, if Real Madrid get complacent, it could be over before that. So, I, 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 Angelotti's league record is a decent point to bring up. Real Madrid's league record throughout modern history as well is just a decent point to bring up. I mean, so much talent, so many Champions League titles, but the ratio to that, to the amount of league titles they win is... It, it should be higher in the, on the domestic front. I, I do think that's a valid point to bring up. I think this will require uh, a very driven effort from day one. I do think with regards to rotation, uh, like it's very hard for me to see Rudiger like not just be a starter next season, given his profile, yeah. given who he is, his hunger. And also, quite frankly, from a tactical fit, I actually think he fits better than, than Militao does. But that's that's, that's something we'll, we'll see. Watch this, by the way, Ewan, this entire discussion of rotation. <clears throat> Real Madrid's starting lineup will just run through Frankfurt in the Super Cup and everyone will be like, this is why yeah. he can't rotate. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, these, <laughs> there's no doubt Kamavinga, Chumeni, Rudiger, all these guys have important places and they need to. I mean, quite frankly, Modric to have his superhuman performances, he needs to rest in between. He needs to... Mm-hmm. We got that World Cup. We got that Club World Cup. Certainly, I think the second half of the season is going to be really important too as is the first half but the second half like i'm kind of worried about that post world cup syndrome that remember remember modric yeah remember modric in 2018 after world cup yeah um that's going to be like you say second half of the season and he's four years older four and a half years older than whatever happened to him after the last world cup but possibly four years younger knowing him i don't know just but 
but like also it the other thing is it wasn't just Mordic. I mean Mordic felt it the most because he Gosh. went to the final and playing extra time, but Cruz had it even though he exited early. Varan had it that that year. So it was just kind of like across the board, everyone's powers got zapped, apart from Benzema, who obviously did not even play the World Cup. So um, we'll see how that yeah. second half. This time, goes. of course, of course, he will. Yeah, that's right. Um, so okay, so that's takeaway number one. Am I doing the next two takeaways, or do you have them lined up? Uh, I think you go for the next one because right. you you just mentioned Rodriguez, and this kind of comes into. Yeah, so Rudiger playing left back in that first game against Barcelona, everyone was confused. And um, when I was watching it, my takeaway was like, okay, this must be because Ancelotti wants Rudiger to defend Rafinha uh, one-on-one. And to be fair, anytime that happened, that those two crossed paths, Rudiger had the best of those duels. And he's an amazing 1v1 defender. So I was like, maybe that's why an alibi him and will interchange. And then... Um, uh, but then it, it seemed like Ancelotti clarified that and was like, we'll basically never see that again. <laughs> he never came out right and said that, but he said for Mendy is a starting left back and all that stuff. And there was so much, so much discussion around multiple different publications and different reports that Alaba is going to be the full-time left back this season. Maybe Ancelotti doesn't value Mendy that much, but he clarified that post-game that Mendy will be the starting left back. So maybe thoughts on that and maybe the confu- the weird confusion and also Rudiger playing left back that, that day inexplicably. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the way Ancelotti explained it was it was something they tried in training and they liked it and they, they decided to go for it. But I think he must have known it would, uh, for it to be in the first first preseason game, so in other words, uh, Rudiger's debut, unofficial debut, was just a little weird. And I think a lot of people took that as if he was trying to, to make a point. I don't think it was. I think it was just something they wanted to experiment with. Um, but certainly weird, and I think that's why he then came out and clarified that uh, Mondi is going to remain the starting left back. And then he explained we basically have two backups and no backups, which was there's no Marcelo, and it doesn't seem like he's being replaced. But the backup left back now is the way Ancelotti put it: Rudiger, if we want a more defensive one, and Alaba, if we want a left back who can also go forward a bit. Um, that's great, but that also then means you have less. Uh, depth at centre back, um, but yeah, I guess in terms of the numbers and the defence, it's the same. You've you've swapped Marcelo for Rudiger, um, but I think of course he's going to play left back, and it all just kind of all these parts move around. What was interesting to me was even Rudiger playing once he moved to centre back, he played a little bit of left centre back, a little bit of right centre back, and I wonder if he is just going to sort of be the Swiss Army knife kind of player that is just fitting in, starting most games, but not necessarily. Um, always in the same position, the kind of uh, player that uh, just plays all the time, but always is kind of of fitting in a little bit like a Rojo in, in Barcelona. Like you look at who started the most games, it's usually him. But then you look at where he was playing and he was always kind of someone's backup um, doing both things at once, really. So as you were saying all that, uh, I was taking mental notes and also just coming up with new takeaways so that maybe this list will be five takeaways or six takeaways. I don't Whoa, know, but okay. uh, but we can make them quick. Uh, so <laughs> don't worry, you and you'll get back to what is it? What time? It must be supper time soon, soon or breakfast. Half, half past seven. Nah, we just had lunch in Madrid. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so it's just after lunch. The Araujo thing, it was interesting that Araujo played right back and Christensen played right center back and it was almost like a mirrored version of Real Madrid on, the, on, on their end because Christensen instead of playing fullback and Araujo instead of playing center back they switched roles just like Rudy Granalaba did and um, I found myself after that game 
quite frankly, I made a mistake, journalistic mistake, because I went to the wrong press conference. I went to Chavi's press conference while Ancelotti was in the mix zone outside. So, and I didn't know that until after I made that mistake. And uh, long story short, I found myself in Chavi's press conference and asked him a question about Araujo, and he was just waxing lyrical about how great Araujo was as a right back, his development, and also just the way he's defended Vinicius not only in that game but also in the in the Bernabeu in the Clasico in the 4-0 the one we don't like speaking about and so um and, and that was an interesting thing and I wonder like so my takeaway to make this more Real Madrid related was that uh Vinicius versus Araujo in just future Clasicos it's one that's been challenging for him for Vinicius he's one of the better defenders he's faced that Vinicius has faced you know ironically he destroyed Christensen uh, in Chelsea, but the guy who they hid on, as the right center back that, uh, in the Clasico. But Araujo has been just a really... Now, quite frankly, Araujo's a beast. Uh, you know, I, I have no problem saying that. I've said it the first time I saw him, and especially after that Clasico. He, he'll have... There's always going to be one or two moments that Vinicius will get the best of him. But Araujo generally just as a player, like... He's such a good defender. He's a physical freak. He's a, he's an imposing figure. And Rudiger versus Araujo is also going to be a tasty thing for for the next few years or whatever. But Vinicius versus Araujo, I think that's something he needs to maybe figure out for himself. And there are there are times where Vinicius maybe just plays into his own head sometimes because he's he's trying to force some things and 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 enforce just and not let the game naturally come to him and flow it more effortlessly and in some games and against some defenders that flows more naturally so he's he's going to need to figure out that Araujo duel moving forward and the other one I wanted to shoehorn in and I'm just going to throw these two extra items at you and you can just take them wherever you want but uh, we, we've spoken so much this preseason about Rudiger and Alaba and Militao and Mendy there's two Figures one in particular that I think we've never discussed, and that is one is Jesus Vallejo continues to look good in his cameos, giving uh, assists, so. <laughs> just like popping up and showing his versatility. On one on one sequence he's Pirlo, on another sequence he's Beckenbauer. Uh, so he's looked good again, and this continues the trend of his performances last season towards the end of the season, where he was all of a sudden appearing because Real Madrid had won the league title. So I'm happy for him. I don't know what that means necessarily, but if it doesn't look like he's being sold as of now. Uh, and the other one is I was just re-watching some stuff and Nacho has looked good too in preseason. So the the insurance and depth we have at center back right now is is pretty pretty amazing, but I just don't know how deep we'll actually go to use Vallejo. Uh, you know, maybe if we have a lot of fullback issues and injuries to Mendy, Carvajal, Nacho will fill in on both sides, which will free up some space. But what were your thoughts on that? No, just to take that exact line you just said there, like the assurance and depth we have at centre back is is like what did you say? Just amazing. Think it imagine you said that this time last year when Real Madrid had just lost Ramos and Varane in the same summer and everybody was freaking out about centre back. The rest of the squad, I think everyone knew it was quite good, you know, uh, maybe a bit aging, but good. Um, but to lose Ramos and Varane in one summer, everybody was freaking out. And now, just like you say, mm, Maybe there's not any particular defender who's reaching the heights of either Ramos or Varane when they were at their peak, but everybody in that centre-back unit is a 7 or 8 out of 10 pretty much every game. So the depth you have there, the number of players you have there, the options basically, the versatility as well, the fact some of them can play full-back, they can switch from right to left, no problems. 
um, the different kinds of profiles. If you have a different sort of challenge, um, you can go for, you know, natural or militar or alaba, depending on what kind of um, challenges opposition might throw up. I think Real Madrid has been able to uh, solidify the centre-back position in the space of 12 months from when everybody was uh, panicking. Is That's quite impressive. And it didn't take all that much work. Just a couple of free agents uh, bring on uh, Vallejo, manage to keep Nacho um, it's, uh, and Militao to, to keep developing. It's, it's impressive stuff. It's uh, it's definitely good good depth to have, and it's amazing. We have we're so thin at certain positions like striker and right back, but then in other positions we're just so deep. And I would argue almost like the spine of the team, the defense and midfield. It's good to have that security there at least, if nothing else. Um, we have one more takeaway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just the lack of Castilla players on the tour. Um, a little bit surprising because this is normally the time of year when you. Uh, look at those players, uh, especially when it's a coach who's in his, not just his first season, um, you know, a new coach comes in and, you know, that happens often at, at big clubs like Real Madrid and they just want to work out, see who's good, who's not out of the the first team squad that they don't know much about. But when it's the second season, when you've got a long summer like this, a little bit surprising, I think, that we didn't see uh, any, but like many Castilla players um, used by Ancelotti because I think next season going forward, especially in such a busy year, especially after the World Cup, um, I mean, Castilla are going to keep playing their games during the World Cup, so uh, they'll be fit and fresh when, uh, you know, December, January, these games come around. Uh, a bit surprising, I think, that we didn't see um, any, even just a few players given a, a run out there to, to show what they can do. Yeah, it's also weird because... I remember part of the reason I always said I enjoyed preseason so much was because you kind of get to see these, I mean, it's kind of this nice environment for the Castilla players to get rare minutes, to go on these cool tours and get some experience. And, you know, I remember in years past, like it was, I can't, I'm sure I'm not going to get an accurate list of players, but, you know, in like 2019, I think it was, that was that the, the 7-3 in Jersey versus Atletico. And, and whoever yeah, else we were playing at that time, I think we had a game in Florida as well and wherever else. You know, you'd have Odegaard coming in. You'd have a bunch of Castilla players coming in at halftime. Um, and it was just like wholesale changes. Castilla players coming in at some point, like they would just dominate the field. And there was none of that this year. I mean, it was you had wholesale changes at halftime, but it was all A team or, you know, reserves or whatever. It wasn't anyone actually from deep deeper down in the Castilla levels, which, to be honest, it kind of makes sense to go that route Mm. you know if the goal is to prepare for the season and to be match fit is it really going to impact your season in a positive way if you give la tasa a couple minutes in preseason probably not um so do you prioritize getting hazard false nine minutes and and getting match fitness i think that makes more sense right so it makes more sense to me that that you would just do that every year to be honest so it was just interesting to see that actually go down like that um i have a theory I, it's not my theory i read it literally somewhere in the spanish press and i can't even remember who to give credit to but i mentioned it to matt and he thought it made sense what do you think just just own, just own it just make it yours unless well, you disagree with it. it if it's not true then i don't want to own it but if it is i'll, I'll sure i'll take credit <laughs> um the reason that Mayoral didn't play was because ancelotti didn't want to risk him getting injured and and then decreasing his value before a sale. What do you think of that theory? 
big part of the reason he didn't play was he he was the one who arrived late because he had problems with his uh, vaccination status and getting oh. into the US. So that okay. was why. He, um, no, I mean there was what I think it was twenty nine players in total that went on tour, um, but only twenty eight flew out um, originally because he had to join. Uh, up with the team uh, I don't know how late maybe two or three days like same kind of thing as Xavi but different kind of reasons um, yeah I think two or three days after everyone else had uh, arrived my Ralph flew out on his on his own which I guess is a long lonely flight and then basically I think a uh, <laughs> long lonely flight back to to Taffy but um, I think sad. part of the reason was when he wasn't there day one um, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he wasn't there from day one of camp so I think that's part of why he maybe didn't get minutes, but it's not as interesting or exciting or controversial or juicy or spicy as uh, your take. So let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like no, like no one's even. I felt bad for the guy on multiple levels when the sale happened. One is because I thought, you know, he wanted to stay. He's like had a lot of bad luck and timing in his career. When I've already said this a million times, but mm-hmm. I'll just make it quick. Like when Zidane wanted to keep him over Jovic, but then he went to Roma. He did great at Roma first season, but then Mourinho came and Mourinho just cast him aside. And then Zidane was gone by the time, you know, he could potentially have come back. And then he now, I didn't even know about this whole solo flight thing days later. And then he has to come back by himself. And um, and then I also felt bad another level because it's just like no one really cared to talk about him two days ago when he was sold. Like no one really cared at all. I, I cared. I wrote an article. I cared. I wrote an article about him. You cared. Yeah, I you cared. Had, you had the theory and everything. You you were ready to spice up and make my morale interesting. And then I just shoot it down with, nope, it was bureaucracy. Like, yeah, well, was, I like, I just, I, uh, I always. But no, like um, I think it's cool. What, what do you think of him going to, what do you think of him going to Taffy? Like, what are you happy for him? You're, or are you sad for him? You sound like uh, a bit pessimistic about his next few years it's fine no i'm not pessimistic about him uh i just kind of felt bad for him but i think like to me like if he had stayed it probably wouldn't have been necessarily the best career move anyway but uh Mm. he had a really good season at katafe and like fact like statistically statistically speaking he was games he was um i mean ennis unal had this the season of his life but when my came in halfway through that really was what changed uh, a lot of things for taffy and uh, they ultimately stayed up, and uh, I mean, yeah, it was better than Sandro, which isn't saying much. But no, uh, uh, when he came in Hitafe, you think right, they need to try and keep him for next season. Ten million is a lot for Hitafe to spend, but um, the fact they were willing to do that obviously shows uh, how much they knew uh, how how important uh, he was for them. Yeah, exactly, and and like it's it's interesting if you look at the numbers statistically speaking, he was literally I think the top three in all of Europe in terms of efficiency as a striker. And that just means like goals per shot, uh, goals yeah. per shots on target or something like that. And I think and per is, minute as well was quite high because uh, when he arrived at Etafi, he was coming off the bench a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think his goals per minute as well was, was way up there. Yeah. And also impressive because he wasn't even getting that many touches. Like at Roma, they would actually play him as a link-up mm. striker. They had more of the ball. Etafi didn't play that way. So they, you'd watch... Yeah, they don't... You'd watch Getafe games. Yeah, you <laughs> they don't do Linka. You watch Getafe games and like over the course of 90 minutes, you just don't really I was trying to take notes on Myra, but he barely touched it, but then he would score. And so I thought he he was really efficient and did well. So I, I I think it's safe to assume I think it's a good option for him to stay there. Although I would have I there's an alternate timeline for him when for or if Fonseca doesn't leave Roma and he just maybe has another 
season where he's just like at a, at a club like that. So I don't know. Timing was never on his side, to be honest. So That's it true. is what it is. Um, any new preseason takeaways from that discussion, or do we close it here? I don't think I have any. I don't know how many we came up with in the end, but yeah. at least three. We got to we got to three three uh, full ones and a few others. So I think that uh, makes it up to. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it four in the podcast headline. Four takeaways from yeah. PCs. I think that's safe, and I three, think three, three and three quarters. Yeah, I think we can lump the Araujo and Vallejo thing into one category. That'll be the four. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this is yeah. this was very impressive. This was the slowest day of the year news-wise, and uh, I did not <laughs> not know what we were going to. It's record. all about to start this this one week until the first official game. It's all about to ramp up, and then then here we go. Little do listeners know when they're like, oh, wow, four takeaways from preseason. They have no idea that literally until we hit record, we didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm proud no, of us. No, we didn't. Now yeah. you've given away the secret. You've... Yeah, but that it, I just want listeners to even be more impressed that we did this without ze- with zero preparation. Mm, so. I see. Uh, Ewan, I'll talk to you off air. We'll get, some, we'll get you on next week for another uh, unplanned podcast last minute, and we'll put something out there. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate you. Take care. Sounds good. All right, before we wrap it up and send you guys along on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Not only do patrons get exclusive access to episodes, but you can also be a guaranteed patron, which means you not only get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons who do so much to support the show. We got Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Somanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Sorio, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odai Fari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare. Uh, scroll, scroll, page two. Nicholas Molo, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Masariego, Muxi Thengal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L. Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Alexis Ceniceros, Al Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalikovic, Adam Dorsey and Bella Chow and Barun and Ramtin Makhrur, Fabian Moreno and Daniel Smith. Love you guys so much. Appreciate you all and Halamari.